Our first reading this morning is from the New Testament, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. This is the word of the Lord. Our second passage <clears throat> comes from Matthew chapter 16. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 23. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside began to rebuke him, saying, God, forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. Well, this is the word of God. Now, we are making our way through a study of Simon Peter. And we have just seen in those earlier verses, verses 13 through 18, we just saw how Jesus says, who do you say that I am to all the, the disciples? Who do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? If you want to put it actually exactly what he's asking them. And Simon Peter, remember, he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it's a great response. It's the best response. And Jesus immediately tells him, hey, you know where that came from? It, it didn't come, hey, I see that hand. It did not come from himself. He said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal it to you. You're not so good. You're not so educated. But my father, he revealed this to you. This confession you've just made, it's, it's from heaven. It's from God who gave you and revealed this to you. But then Jesus doesn't stop there. Then he says, he said, go back and we said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Not just that God revealed it, but God revealed it. He revealed the glory to him. He revealed the fact of this electing love to him. And we made these points last week. But we come right after that to verses 21 through 23. And it says there, from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples 
He must go to Jerusalem to do what? For what? He's got to go to the cross. He's going to be suffering many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. And he's going to be killed and raised up on the third day. So verse 21 is all about going to the cross. So here, after he makes this confession, um, he's going to give him, Jesus is going to give Peter some content to what it means to be the Messiah, what it means to be the Christ. He's not coming to establish a kingdom on the earth. He's not coming to be a Rome crusher, but he's coming to be a person who goes to the cross in order to save his people from their sins. Now, as we look at, did you see the title? The title of the sermon is The Temptations. Now, here's, here's the sermon in a sentence. You know, they, te- they tell preachers to do this, and I'm working at doing this. And, I mean, I've been working at doing this so long. But here's the, here's the sermon in a sentence, okay? When Peter hears this information, he's going to be tempted to oppose the divine must of Jesus going to the cross, and then he's going to fail. And then Peter is going to tempt Jesus, but Jesus, when he's tempted to bypass the cross, he's not going to fail. That's the sermon. Two temptations. One man fails. Another man does not fail. Peter fails, and Jesus does not. Let's look at the timing of these these temptations. I want you to think about it. Simon Peter is fresh off of something great, a great confession. He's made this confession on behalf of all the other disciples. He knows the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He cries out, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, you are blessed. We talked about that yesterday. We talked about the uh, Sermon on the Mount in Psalm 1 and how the, one, the man in Psalm 1 is blessed and how the man in, uh, who's a part of the kingdom of God is blessed are the poor in spirit. You're blessed. <laughs> You're in an envious position you know who i am other men don't but you do and you know this electing love and i am calling you peter now not son of john i'm calling you a dip by a different category and you have been laid upon me i'm the chief cornerstone and you and the other disciples are now laying on me connected to me and so this is a wonderful thing this is a spiritual high John Denver wrote a song. (laughs) My daughter loves John Denver, and you can hear her upstairs sometimes singing a Colorado Rocky Mountain High. And you know, everybody loves John Denver songs. Now, all you guys who don't know who he is, y'all go listen. He has the blessing. You can listen to him, but listen to him tomorrow. Listen to God's music today. Okay, so here he, I mean, this is exciting for Peter. Now, let me ask you a question. This is a Rocky Mountain, Colorado, Rocky Mountain high. Is he ready for what's coming? Did you see what it says there? It says that, he says here in verse 18, I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Peter, are are you ready? Because the gates of Hades are about to pound on you right here. Are you ready? You know, he's way up there. There's only one place to go. <laughs> Are you ready, Peter? You're going you're gonna to be tempted. 
You are one of the stones lying upon the chief cornerstone, and you are about to be pounded. Are you ready, or are you unprepared? I want you to think about Jesus is fresh off this great confession, too. Think about how much Jesus loves Peter. Have you ever thought about that? How much Jesus loves Peter? This is one of his best friends on earth. And his best friend, he's been laboring with Peter. Think about how he's labored with him. He's known him. And he said, hey, would you take out your boat and push it off a little bit so I can preach? Sure. Hey, would you go out a little bit deeper into the water, throw your nets out over here? And Peter says, you know, I don't think you're right, but I'll do it. And then he sees all the fish that he catches and he repents and he says, I'm a sinful man. And Jesus says, hey, listen, here's some consolation. Don't be afraid. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And then Jesus says, walk on the water with me in the midst of a terrible storm. And he does it. And then he confesses his faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus has been working on Peter. Jesus loves Peter. In Luke 15, Jesus says that a soul that repents in heaven, there's a great deal of joy. I can just imagine that with Peter, Jesus is overjoyed. Let me ask the question. Is Jesus Christ on his spiritual toes? Is Jesus Christ ready? The stone is going to be tempted to say, no, don't go to the cross. And the the chief cornerstone is also going to be pounded as well by his best friend. Testimonies of faith in Jesus Christ or confessions of faith in Jesus Christ are followed by temptation and trial. May I ought to say that again. Temptations follow testimonies of faith in Jesus Christ. Spiritual highs are followed by many times spiritual lows. Jesus and Peter are fresh off this great experience and temptation is coming to both of them. You know, when we would go uh, for, I don't know how many years, eight years, eight years in South in uh, California, we would go to the Redwood Christian Forest and we would have a family camp. And at, the, at family camp, you eat and the kids bust the tables and you just sit there and talk to people. And at family camp, you have eight 30-minute parts of the, of the whole time that you're there where you do nothing but sing from the hymnal. 30 minutes, and then you have an hour uh, lecture, and you have talent night, and you have time to just wander around the camp, and it's 50 at night, and it's 70 in the afternoon. It's great. It's a little cold to swim, but I don't care. I didn't ever do that. It's great, but after the camp's over, you have to go where? Go home. You have to go back to reality, you know? Jesus goes up, and he's on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John, and they see this glorious moment, and when they come down the mountain, you know what they come to? They go into a valley, and there's nine disciples who've been defeated by Satan. Difficult. We're we're at the top. Colorado, Rocky Mountain High. And then we go back to reality. Think about Joseph. Joseph, I know we know about Joseph. Joseph is one of my favorite people in the Bible. And yes, he was treated badly by his brothers, but he was, first of all, if you go read the text, he was an outside slave, then he becomes an inside slave, then he becomes the number one slave, and he's over everything, and Potiphar says some great things about him, and he gives everything into his hands, and guess what happens after that? Temptation. And so here's David. David's 50 years old. Oh, man, we're 50 years old. Man, we have reached, we're 20 years of being the king. And then one day he decides to take off, take a break. He doesn't punch his time card one day. Is he ready for what's going to happen out there on the roof? 
See, every time that we go through one of these highs, every time we have a great week, get ready, Jesus, get ready, Peter. <laughs> Gates of hell are about to pound on you. The timing of the temptation. Second, let's look at the content of the temptations. Verse 21, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples he must go to Jerusalem. That word there, it is of absolute necessity. You know, it says in the King James Version, I've said this to you before, on John 4, 4, Jesus must needs go to Samaria. <laughs> Jesus must needs go to Jerusalem. John chapter 3, it's of absolute necessity that you be born again. Here Jesus has to go to the cross. It's a divine must. And so Jesus is explaining what Christ means. Peter's confessed it. Now Jesus is going to put some content in what Christ actually means. It means that he will not be applauded by elders and chief priests and scribes, but he will be killed. He's not going to be entering into uh, the, you know, into town and be a Rome crusher. But he's going to be killed. Rome will be the hands that put Jesus to death, but the prime movers that bring him to Rome for their execution will be the Sanhedrin. But he's going to be raised on the third day. Now, at the plainness of this content, Peter is stunned. Jesus, he loves him. Peter loves Jesus. You're the Christ. You're the one who has the words of eternal life. No, no, this is just too much. It just can't be. I can't believe this. He's rejecting it. And at the plainness of this content, he falls into temptation. This is what's going on in his mind. He's, he's confronted by two opposing truths. Think about what he's been told. He knows Jesus is the glory of God. He knows Jesus is the Messiah. He knows Jesus is the Son of God. He hears from Jesus' mouth that Jesus is going to build his church. He hears that he's part of being of that church and connected to it. How much better can it get? And then he hears that this person who builds the church is going to die, and he must die. I mean, he just can't take it in. He doesn't understand at this point that the glory, it comes after the cross. He doesn't understand that first there's the humiliation and then the exaltation. He doesn't understand that the cross is first and the crown is second. He doesn't get it. And so what does he do? He chooses the theology of glory. He chooses glory. He chooses, you. this can't be. He chooses to say, I want the cross to be prevented. The cross that would save him from his sins. The cross that would save you from your sins. I want the cross to be prevented. And that's what he said, God forbid it, Lord, that this should ever happen. And so this content Jesus meant to help Simon Peter is used by the devil to tempt him, and he falls into temptation. And here comes the temptation. Let's look at the form of the temptation. What's the offense? Well, he wants to, he's saying, no, do not go to the cross. Well, let me ask you a question. Who else didn't want Jesus to go to the cross? We, uh, Mr. Larson read it, Matthew chapter 4. Somebody else didn't want Jesus to go to the cross, and that person's name is Satan. <laughs> yeah. So here's Peter lining up with Satan. Simon Peter wants to prevent God's divine will, the divine will for Jesus to go to the cross. 
And so he takes Jesus aside and he does this privately. He began to, to talk to him privately. He didn't want to uh, be caught differing with Jesus, his Lord, in public. And so he says, God forbid it, Lord, that this shall ever happen to you. I mean, he's rebuking the one he calls the Son of God. He's rebuking Jesus. No, God forbid it. And so he is doing this to Jesus. Now, you know, I, I just wrote, wrote, wrote this in my notes. Isn't it amazing how we can, at times, decide to sit down and give Jesus a lecture? <laughs> no, I read his will. You read his will? You read those commandments? I read those commandments. No, not for me. For him, but not for me. And Peter is lecturing Jesus and telling him, no, this, this is not right. He can't imagine that he is wrong, and he can't imagine that Jesus is right. That's sometimes what we do. We just, Lord, you just can't be right here. But we're talking about Jesus, the truth teller. Let's look at the goal of the temptation. Simon Peter, he would stand in the way of the divine must. Simon Peter would say to Jesus, No, you cannot go to the cross. You must bypass it. As Mr. Larson read, this is an old temptation. This is not new. This is an old temptation. Now think about it. Think about what happens in Matthew chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 4. We'll get to Matthew 4, but let's think about chapter 3 first. Another Colorado Rocky Mountain High in chapter 3. Jesus goes to... To John the Baptist, and John the Baptist, Should, shouldn't you be baptizing me, he says? And he says, no, in order to fulfill all righteousness, you have to baptize me. And so John, he's given all kinds of what? Confessions and testimony. No, I'm not the Christ, but he is. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so John baptizes him, and water is dripping off of Jesus, and the Spirit of God comes down and, and anoints him from, on, from heaven. It's a beautiful thing. John sees this. And then out of the heavens, God the Father says, Behold, this is my beloved Son in whom I am what? Well pleased. It doesn't get better than that. What's the next thing that happens? He's led out into the wilderness to be, <laughs> to be what? Tempted? Yeah. So here he is. Here it is. Here's our thesis. <laughs> you, are you ready? You've had a high, and here comes the temptation. And so here's the temptation. Satan is going to seek to persuade Jesus that, hey, listen, no, no need to go through humiliation and shame. You can have it all without the cross. First temptation, you are the son of God. You do not have to be hungry as the Father has directed you. Do you understand that when Jesus is hungry, that's at the Father's direction? And if Jesus had used his divine power to take care of his human need, he would have acted like, a God, like God and not man. He was here to be man for us. He was here to be hungry for us. And he was here to eat when God the Father gave him food to eat. And you read the very end of the passage where it says that the angels ministered to him and they took care of that. First temptation. Well, Jesus says, now man's not going to live by bread alone, but by every word. He's living by God's word and God's word has not told him yet to eat. Second, you are the son of God. And you don't have to go through the, the, the rejection of these religious people. All you have to do is, is do something magnificent. Do something that gains their admiration. Throw yourself down off the top of this pinnacle of the temple, and they'll see that glory, and you won't have to go through this horrible persecution by these men. 
Third temptation, you're the son of God. Instead of gaining all the kingdoms of the world through suffering, I'll give them all to you. All you have to do is bow down to me and worship. You see, that's an old temptation. But here in this passage, it's a new temptation. How is it new? It's new. Let, let me see if I can help this, the young people think about this, and y'all, all, all of us. When we think about being tempted by Satan, sometimes we think about a pitchfork, somebody who smells like sulfur, somebody who's red and got little horns poking out, and he's out there in the wilderness with Jesus, and he's tempting Jesus, but this time not, he's dressed up in the person of his friend. This time he's dressed up in the person of Peter. This time Peter has fallen for the bait, and he doesn't want his Christ to be put to death. And so now Peter comes to Jesus, and he begins to tempt Jesus not to go to the cross. Isn't it interesting? We won't labor on this, but it's the one that we love that's the one that can tempt us the easiest, isn't it? Satan suggested this to, to Jesus, and immediately through Peter, he says, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You're not setting your mind on God's interest, but on man's. Just as immediately as he responded in the wilderness, he has responded just as immediately to Simon Peter and his suggestion not to go to the cross. He was always setting his face toward Jerusalem. Well, what are we to learn from this? You know, there's, there's three guys in my mind that I think about when I look at the New Testament. I think, about, I think about Peter, and I think about Paul, and I think about John just because I love John so much. But Peter and Paul are the first two people that pop into my mind. And why is that? Well, both of those first two guys, God has put in front of us as examples to follow. If you want to know what Paul says, just go read what he says. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. But, but in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Paul's not there yet. We have Peter right in front of us all the time. There he is, front and center, all the time. Speaking for them, making mistakes for all of them. And Jesus is going to teach us how he deals with us as he shows us Peter. And I want you to see that Jesus confronts us in the life of Peter with the life of a regenerate man what is the life of a regenerate man? Well, here it is. This is Jesus' explanation of what's going on in Peter. Galatians 5.17 For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. On the one hand, Peter's a new man. On the other hand, Peter's not a new man. On the one hand, Jesus recognizes Peter as making a great confession. On the other hand, Peter says some things that are terrible. <laughs> Don't go to the cross. On the one hand, Jesus calls him a stone. On the other hand, he calls him a stone of stumbling. Here's the chief, chief point at the same time. On the one hand... He has his mind set on the things of God. On the other hand, Jesus says your mind are set on the things of men. And so before us, we have a man who cannot do as he pleases. And every Christian, if you're a Christian, if you're in Jesus Christ, we have Christ. He is our Lord. He is our life. He rules. He reigns. Can't say enough about it, but sin still remains. And as that sin is remaining in us, we are in for a violent war on the inside. 
a war with sin. So when we come to Christ, we put our faith and our trust in Him, it's not long before you realize you're in a battle. And I love to say it like this. You're not what you were. You're not what you're going to be in heaven. But you're a new creature in Christ. But you're just not perfectly new yet. And in this place, in Christ, we will deal with sin, indwelling sin. And we are being taught every day that it's a slugfest. <laughs> you understand that? It's a slugfest. What does First, uh, First Corinthians 9.27 say? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give myself a black eye in order to run after Christ. You see, y'all do that regularly? Try that one day, you know. I had a lady one day come to me while I was training, and um, I loved this lady, and um, she had a black eye. How did I get this black eye? I said, you probably hit yourself in your sleep. Oh, no, no, no. I said, no, all it takes is just this. But he's saying, I'm giving myself a black eye. I'm keeping myself under control. And here we have Peter. He's trying to prevent the cross, the divine necessity. Now, Peter would try to prevent it as one who has a war raging in him. But sometimes maybe you and I can try to frustrate the cross as it works, is to be used in our lives. We can't prevent it. It already took place. But let me give you an idea of how we can frustrate the work of the cross in our lives. The war is raging in you, and you and I must daily come to Christ by faith and bring to our Savior all of our sins. And if you go read Pilgrim's Progress, you'll find that Christian is always bringing all his sins continually to the cross. And so you and I, we are to keep short accounts uh, before the Lord Jesus Christ. As quickly as you, as you sin, you must as quickly ask God to forgive you. But are we not tempted at times to say, I've had such a great week. I've had such a great day. I've had such a great time. And then all of a sudden you do something that you're so ashamed of. You do something that you're, it, it's offensive to you what you've done. You can't believe what you've done. You can't believe what you've said. It's offensive to you and it's offensive to Christ and you know it is. And so what you say is, listen, I bring all my other sins to you, but this one I'm going to hold on to and here's how I'm going to treat it. Instead of bringing it to Christ to be, to be covered by the blood and forgiven, I'm going to hold on to it and I'm going to beat myself up for it. I'll be harsh against myself. I'll take this sin and I'll beat myself up for it. I will be punished for it instead of Jesus seeing Jesus punished for it. And so we walk around and we frustrate the cross in our lives. I'm going to be harsh to myself. I'm going to treat myself harshly. I bring every sin except this one or these, as some people say, as these ones. I'm going to bring this one. I'm not going to bring it to the cross. I'm going to punish myself. Well, how, much, how, how helpful is that to you when you punish yourself instead of bring it to Christ? How helpful is that? It's really not, is it? Let me see if I can explain to you something that I, I think my family and I have learned on 1,800-mile trips. 1,800-mile trips are 27-hour-long uh, trips. And if you start the trip off with an argument um, and you don't get it right, you got 26 more hours. You with me? 26 more hours in close 
uh, proximity to one another. And so what you have to learn to do is you have to immediately go, Lori, would you please forgive me? <laughs> Sorry. I stuck, I opened my foot up. I mean, my mouth up and I shoved the foot in it. I'm pleased, would you please forgive me? And there's other four people in the car and they get to observe this whole thing. And so if you don't take care of it, you got 26 more hours in the car just to drive and then you've got to spend the night at least two places. Do you want to redeem the time or do you want to lose the time? If we confess our sins, God is faithful and he's righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I, I guess the thing that I would say here, and I've said this over and over, one of the men in California called me the other day and he said, Pastor Mark, I'm trying to do the next right thing. Isn't that what we need to do? Oh man, but I, I just, look at what I did. Shouldn't I just beat myself for it? Well, you'll, you know, I understand. But you have to do the next right thing. The, the next right thing is to obey and take care of your family. The next right thing is to go and do what you should be doing. Yes, I'm sorry. God will forgive. God forgives us and we go on. As the war is raging in you, you must daily deny your own flesh and crucify it. Jesus later on here in this passage says, If anyone wishes to come after me, he will deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So this idea here of being in union with Jesus Christ, if you go to Romans 6, we're in Christ, and when he died on the cross, we, were, we died with him, but we also apply that truth today. And so we see ourselves with our crosses dying to our selfishness. This is the war we're in with ourselves, when we die to our selfishness, every person in Jesus' day who heard that statement, take up your cross, they understood what that meant. They all understood that. They all understood that meant you got to die. And you and I must take up our crosses and we must die to our selfishness and grace is at work in us. And as we do the next right thing, our muscles for doing the next right thing grow. It's by the power of God's Spirit. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. But if I forget the cross, if I forget to take up the cross, then I frustrate its use in my life. Well, Jesus confronts unbelievers who try to seek to, to avoid the cross in their lives. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus is confronting every person who would seek to get rid of the cross. You and I can't prevent the cross. It's already been done. But we can say, God forbid it, Lord, the cross be far from me. We have people saying that all the time. God forbid it, Lord, I don't want to. I used to have women in the, in the gym that would say, what would you preach on last night? I said, I preached on the cross. And they would say, don't talk to me about that. Talk to me about anything else but that. Didn't you, did you preach about David? No, I preached on the cross. Don't talk to me about blood. Okay. People don't want to hear this. But would you on purpose neglect to go to your job? Men? Women? Would you on purpose not be on time? Would you on purpose not go to a party that's planned for a child? Would you on purpose not go on your hunting trip? Would you on purpose not do your vacation you planned for? Not, not on your life, but would you on purpose neglect your soul? 
You and I stand before God, and God has made us in his own image, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. We're to exercise dominion over the creatures. That's how we were created, and we fell. And as a result of the fall, we're separated from God, and this separation means that you and I, we have a choice to make. We either are going to be responsible to him, and we're going to say, come to him through Jesus Christ, or we're going to worship creatures and worship worship things that have been made. This God who's created us and before whom we stand responsible, he has also sent a son to save us from our sins. And he's did this through Jesus, the person who did fulfill this divine must. And you can be saved if you come to Christ. You can know God through Christ. But if you will, if you say, God forbid it, Lord, this cross be far from me. There's no salvation. Now I want you to think about one more thought here. There's people many times who know everything I've just said. Some people know this better than me. (laughs) They can say, there's a God out there who's created me and I'm on the wrong side of him. And they know that this God, before whom they must give an account of their lives, they know that he has sent a son to save them from their sins. And they know that they must repent. They know they must believe. They know they must love their neighbor as themselves but they still haven't thrown themselves down before Jesus' cross. They know all of that. And so they make it void. They count it as useless for them. They don't use it. The cross is the only way of salvation. And the one, I think this is a sermon, the one great aim of Satan is to take the cross, listen to me, out of the world. Just take Christ out of the world and make everybody happy. So many people happy. He, w- he couldn't prevent it, but his goal is to keep the cross out of the mind of sinners who need Christ. And his goal for, against every Christian is to diminish its influence in your life. Until Jesus comes, may we all say, Get thee behind me, Satan. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for this word. And I pray for our church that we would say as a people who are here together, get thee behind me, Satan. Father, I pray that we would always hold the cross of Jesus Christ high, lift it up, know that men and women will come as they hear the gospel preached. It's your instrument that saves people from their sins. Help us ever hold it up before others, before our friends, and in our own hearts and lives. And Father, we praise you and thank you for speaking to us in your word. We'll give you glory and praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen.